Hello and welcome to another edition of Eight More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. This is Councilman Brandon Cohn. It's Wednesday, October the 28th. And my guest today is my friend and colleague, District 1 Councilwoman Jessica Green. Jessica, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me, Brandon. I appreciate you. Um, so I want to talk about all sorts of things, of course, but um, for folks that don't know you, I just want to do some basic background about District 1, about yourself. Can you mm -hmm. tell us about District 1 and the neighborhoods that you represent? Yeah, so District 1 is actually um, pretty diverse. And so when people think of District 1, they think that it's all West Louisville. It's not. We've got about 65% West Louisville. And then the remaining portion of it is the South, the Southwestern part of the area. And so we are at 26 and Broadway on the south side, all the way to down to about 44th Street. And so in West Louisville, we've got neighborhoods like Park Duval, which is where I live, which is the former Carter, Carter Homes. We've got neighborhoods like parts of Algonquin neighborhood. We've got Chickasaw neighborhood. We've got Al Alpha Gardens. And so we've got the Parkland neighborhood that we spent a lot of energy and time and money trying to revitalize. And then we pick up at Cane Run Road and we stretch all the way out to the Greenbelt. And so neighborhoods like Lake Dreamland that we have out there. And so pretty diverse. And so, you know, a pretty good mixture of Democrat and Republican, a good mixture of black and white folks, diverse issues. There's not really a monolithic ideas or thought. And so we got a lot going on uh, and it's a great place to be. Yeah, I mean, all the districts are so interesting and different from one another. And yeah. you mentioned some neighborhoods like Parkland and Chickasaw mm -hmm. that are historic and yes. beautiful. Yeah. Um, and, you know, neighborhoods like Park Duval, where you live, that have literally been transformed over the yeah. time that we've been alive. And then, you know, Riverside Gardens and yeah. um, the whole Rubbertown area, where obviously yes. that's a setting unlike any other community Absolutely. in Louisville in terms of the industry and the um, environmental issues and the environmental justice issues you have to deal with. So um, super interesting district. And um, yes. let me ask, before we, sort of, go ahead, before we sort of jump on to you, I, I wonder about Park Duval. I've been uh, to Park Duval before, it, right off beautiful Algonquin Parkway. I've been mm -hmm. by your house to drop off cookies, I think, once. <laughs> yes, and I think expecting. I eat those cookies like all in, I eat those cookies all within two days, Brandon, so you're dead wrong for that. <laughs> and I've taken the tour of Park Duval because I was, as somebody who's interested in just sort of urbanism, I was interested in one of these massive HUD Hope 6 projects, what it looks like when you really destroy a, or deconstruct a community, whether it was had problems or not and put something else in its place and how those kind of planned communities work. And Park Duval really incorporates a lot of the, um, you know, some kind of best practice from it a does. planning standpoint and green space and infrastructure and that sort of thing. How is living in Park Duval now that it's really matured into its own neighborhood? You know, the trees are not saplings yes. anymore. Generations right. of people have grown up there. How does it feel? How do you like your neighborhood? It feels like a, like a, it feels like a great neighborhood. Yeah, I've been here about 13, 14 years. I love it. This is where my kids have, have grown up. Now, with that all being said, Brandon, there are underlying issues. And some of the people who were formerly here when it was Cotter Homes and Southwick, what happens to all those individuals who, who are di displaced and taken out of, of, of 
their home where there where there are literally generations of families that were here in Southwick and Cotter homes and now essentially their neighborhood has been totally wiped away and so I'm all for, for for building and making communities better in quotation marks but I think that you know as we as a city as we continue to to tear down what some would view as substandard neighborhoods we have to do some some real thinking about the long-term effects on on what it means for, for families and generations to come and how we we move people in an equitable and fair manner i park Duval is as you said kind of a, a best practices so we do have mixed income here so some of the folks that were previously here they were able to, to stay there is subsidized housing and we've got uh townhouses here and apartments that people that are on fixed incomes some a very small number were able mm -hmm. to stay but the vast majority had to leave yeah I, I i did not know that i was sort of asked i was wondering about the displacement and um you know i know you're very interested in fair housing and have a piece yes. of fair housing legislation that you're working on and i guess as there are still some of these legacy um, housing developments around the city that I think ultimately will be redeveloped, you know, how much work we have to do in terms of not displacing people. And it sounds like um, whatever we need to do going forward needs to be a lot better than was done in Park yeah. Duval. We just need to be thoughtful and, and deliberate about yeah. it because again, you know, what happens after, after the ribbon cutting? I mean, that there's people's lives that are really truly affected, you know, when they are perhaps sent from what was formerly Cotter Homes in Southwick and now they're sent to maybe a section eight housing facility out on the outer loop i mean that that's that that is can be very challenging very challenging right. communities and families and and it, it sometimes can become difficult so i think just again just being thoughtful and deliberate about all of that is something that we we have to make be intentional about well good i'm glad you'll you'll be around for at least two more years to work on some of these projects that are happening now and uh just west of downtown and just south of downtown but um before we talk about you and your metro council can you give us just people who don't know you a little bit about your background your family your education that kind of thing what sort of brought you to uh, you know where you are today yeah so i have i took office uh, at the top of 2015 which is crazy it seems so long ago because i still feel some days like a baby um council person my background is uh in law and so that's how i make my living in my daytime job and so i spent uh almost 10 years as a, as a prosecutor i was a prosecutor in both harding county and jefferson county where i was assigned to the domestic violence unit and so i exclusively prosecuted felony level um domestic violence case homicides as well as prosecute felony level sex crimes against against children excuse me speaking of children over here this this whining and so now i've got my my own practice i've been in private practice sorry guys that's okay <laughs> you can just introduce us okay this is this is lennox he is five weeks old and so it is sometimes challenging to be a a a, a working mom and having a newborn so i i am understanding this this the, the plight of, of working moms even more right now because he's too young to be in daycare so he has been home with me while mommy has continued to try to work so let us just be quiet so anyway, well, if you so, need if you need a if you need a, a real break obviously jessica you just let us know we'll press pause that. okay well we're gonna try to uh, get, get him calmed down but so my 
my my my daytime job I've, I've got my own private practice i most of my practice is in family law and so i do a lot of uh adoptions uh child custody work divorce cases um i also have three older kids who are adopted and so that has been part of of our journey so we're pretty transparent um about that and so you know i never thought that i would ever run for for office it was never really on my horizon <laughs> whatsoever um for many people who know my mom did formally hold the the seat in district one and so she passed away in 2000 2013 and so again it was never never really on my my radar and i was happy to just kind of uh, be at that time a, a city employee as a prosecutor in the Commonwealth Attorney's Office. Well, what happened actually, and most I've never really talked about it publicly, was that um, a, a new administration came into the Commonwealth Attorney's Office, and so they brought their own prosecutors with them, and so I lost my job. And so for the first time, I had the opportunity we could even contemplate about running for office, and so I did after much prayer and consultation with a lot of people that I trusted. I did. Well, I'll just say on behalf of the community, we're so glad you did. I'm so glad you did. Obviously, you know, family and children is, has been something that you've been raised with from your parents and in your own life in terms of adopting and fostering and becoming a mother and the work that you do and prosecuting the bad guys and helping families. I, you know, obviously I think having legal training is, really helpful to be a legislator, especially, but having a background uh, where you're serving families and children, it seems like if you think about children and families at the center of all your policy making decisions and what's best for them, you can't really go wrong. So um, it's a perspective that is extremely valuable on the city council. And I've, I've said before more than once, I always look to you as the conscience really of the city council. I feel like, um, you know, you have such a strong heart and sense of what's right and wrong and that you can be counted to think about all these uh, people, no matter what issue we're contemplating. So that's, those are just well, some sincere compliments for me. Well, I appreciate um, that, my dear. Now, in terms of education, um, you know, you're, we're the same age, I think. It says yes. here in your bio, which needs to be updated for little Lennox, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> that you were the valedictorian graduated class in 99 Central High School. I did, yes, many years ago. Well, you, Gosh, it was a long time ago. It's clear to me that you're a good student. You, well, those kind of habits are still evident in people's yes. lives these days. And then it says you went to Spelman College and UK College of Law. So yes. I want to talk about law school in a little bit, but for people who don't know about Spelman, it's a pretty unique place. Can you tell yes. us about it? Spelman is one of two uh, historically Black colleges exclusively for women. And so it is, a lot of people call it the, the birthplace of black girl magic. And so I had a wonderful experience. It is in Atlanta, it's a small liberal arts college and it's right there in the Atlanta University Center where you'll find other historically black colleges like Morehouse, Clark Atlanta University, Morehouse School of Medicine. And so it was really uh, some of probably the most transformative four years of of my life in terms of being able to really learn my voice and to be able to find my voice because it really is an institution um, that pushes 
independent thought and that has produced some of the most amazing women in the entire world. And so when I think about uh, my friends that I walked away with from Spellman that are, that are still near and dear to me to this day, that we talk every their lives and how they have, are changing the world in their own individual ways, it, it literally amazes me that I was, was a part of, of such a place. And so that's my two little two cents. And it's part of the reason that I was so excited about the Grace L. James Academy, the new elementary school uh, for young women of color coming to District 1, because it made me think of my own experience is at Spelman. And if these little girls can even have a smidge of the experience that I had at Spelman, their lives are going to be deeply enriched. Yeah, that's really, it's really exciting. Is it, yeah. is Spelman somewhere you always knew you wanted to go to college or obviously it is, have you it's, heard it's of it? Not. No, it's not actually. So I was on my way headed to, to Northwestern in Evanston in the Chicago area. And so um, I just so happened, I applied for a scholarship for uh, an NAACP scholarship and I ended up going to Spelman for a, a weekend. They have a program called Spellbound where high school seniors can come and spend a weekend there. And I remember walking away and driving back from Atlanta, heading back to Louisville and saying to my mom, okay, we got to figure out the rest of this money because I've, I've found my place. This is, yeah. this is where I want to go. And this place feels like home to me. And so it, and it did. And like I said, I, I just, I had a wonderful experience there. Wonderful. That's funny. I would, I went to the University of Michigan, obviously mm -hmm. a different kind of school than Spelman, but I had the same exact experience mm -hmm. when I went, when I went to Ann Arbor, Michigan for the first time and all that it sort of represented and how the way the yes. town, the way the town felt to me. I checked out Northwestern too on my way up there. And I remember it was just a cold, windy, nasty it day. Was. I, was with my, yeah. I was with my dad and I was there for 10 seconds, even though we drove all the way up from Louisville to Chicago. Right. I was like, Sorry, this is not the place right. for me. Same kind of situation. Yeah, exactly. But I, I mean, I had, I was going to Northwestern, or at least I thought that I was. Actually, I visited the campus and I was like, yeah, this is not going to work for me. <laughs> so, you know, um, to, can you tell me a little bit about what it was like uh, living in Atlanta? And maybe it's different as a college student, but I can imagine, especially now as like, a, uh, you know, I don't want to say middle age, but as an adult. Middle age, old, Brandon, yes. I'm the same, I'm up. older than you, Jessica, but, but um, you know, as a, as a as an adult professional black woman mm -hmm. in America, you know, I mean, like I'm a white guy, mm -hmm. and but I've been to when I go to cities like Atlanta or Washington D.C. or New York or wherever, where I see an unbelievable thriving mm -hmm. yeah. uh, professional black middle class and upper class yes. and other diverse populations that are not segregated like this. It is such a special feeling that mm -hmm. makes me feel sad about our segregated community and how yeah. much how far we still have to go when you think about atlanta where you spent such formative years compared to the town that you live in now and where you work and you're raising your family i mean is it is it something that's hopeful to you or does it make you feel despair for so, you know so the thing is i think about louisville and think about what it could be but as you pointed out brandon like you know, Louisville is such a segregated city, you know, by, by color, by the haves or have-nots. And typically the have-nots in Louisville are people of color, brown people, black people. 
So when you go to the poor neighborhoods, they're full of black folks. When you think about uh, the kids who are struggling the most in school, uh, those typically are black folks. When you think about some of the, the crime ridden neighborhoods in Louisville, those right. tend to be neighborhoods that are, are filled with, with, with black folks. When I think about Atlanta, what is so, so beautiful about it is that there is a thriving, not only black middle class, but upper middle class, and that we see blacks in leadership across city government. We see thriving black businesses. I mean, it's the kind of place that again, for me as an 18 year old uh, kid coming out of, out of Louisville, that immediately felt like home. And so I tell people all the time, you know, representation and images are, are everything. And so for me, being able to look around and walk into restaurants, that beautiful, you know, restaurants, not just mom and pop kind of shacks that were owned by, by black people as 18 year old kid is something that really opened my eyes to the possibilities. And so when I compare Louisville to a place like Atlanta, it gives me hope when I think about the possibilities and hoping that the tide begin, can begin to, to change. And again, what, whether that is going to, to happen anytime soon, I don't know because Louisville still continues, as we know right now in particular, to, to struggle in, in, in major ways. And so I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for Louisville. I have loved living in Louisville my entire life. I have love raising my family in Louisville, but, but right now we're in some very challenging times in, in our city. And I really don't know what, what the future will hold for all of us. Right. And it's, it's obviously we work as legislators and policymakers every day to try to chip away at the status quo. And we understand that, you know, in order to have um, diverse and integrated neighborhoods and schools, you have to work on fair housing, you have to work on Correct. equitable investments, you have to work on, you know, justice across the board, and you sort of have to chip away at an unjust city and society and allow it to take a different shape and form. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's frustrating because it seems like all you can sort of do is chip away sometimes and to see a place in a city that's thriving like Atlanta it's no accident that it's thriving because everybody there has mm -hmm. you know opportunities well, to see I mean, and it's a diverse place you, itself, you, that, so. you bring up a point Brian, when you say yeah we we understand and unfortunately I don't know if everybody understands that when we're trying to get to to the root causes of of, of issues that we have got to, to, to make some significant change. And so for me, sometimes it, it's frustrating and you know how I feel about certain things. Frustrating, especially as we are dealing with certain legislation or certain policies and hearing certain comments from folks that just don't get it. And I try not to hold it against people because they don't have perhaps the same life view as, as I do and experiences as I do. But when I look at somebody like you, who is a white middle-class guy who seems to, to get it, it just increases my frustration as I listen to, to other rhetoric. And so again, that, that's a whole nother discussion about how I can get frustrated about certain things and some of the movement yeah. that I would like to see happen here in Louisville that, that it seems like people are completely resistant to. But 
you know, again, I understand that change can be uncomfortable, but it's only with change that I think that we're going to be mobilized to see something really different and unique happen in this city. Well, I'm going to start to ask you about what's going on today and also what's sort of changed and what you've learned in your six years so far on council. But before we do, I can't skip over UK law school. So I, I did we go to law school at the same time? We did not graduate the same when year. Did, when did you graduate? I came out in 2006. When, were you, when did you graduate? Okay. All right. So I graduated from 2008 and your okay. bio online on, on your on your city council says that you graduated from 2008. And I was like, how is this no. possible? How do no. I not remember Jessica from no. law school? Somebody, I could not somebody possibly... made a mistake. No. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, I'm sure we would have been friends in law school. Yeah, exactly. For um, real. So, you know, for me, I wonder, you know, just like I asked you about Atlanta and how that was for you, I wanted to ask you about Lexington and about UK because, you know, for me, that was not an uplifting kind of cultural experience. And I'm not trying to hate on UK or Lexington mm -hmm. or the rest of the state or anything like that. But, you know, I went from Louisville to Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is extremely liberal, mm -hmm. diverse beautiful, you know, kind of college town. I lived in New York for a little while in Washington and Lexington, you know, Lexington today is even a much different place than it was 10 or 15 years yeah, ago. Right. And so Lexington right. in the early, early mid 2000s, you know, the law school was not, you know, it didn't look like Ivy and gargoyles. It was like on a busy road and it was an old right. building. And, the, right. and um, you know, I remember thinking that a lot of people in my class had totally opposite po mm -hmm. politics and viewpoints as me. Yep. And so I really struggled with, I don't want to say fitting in, but with just even, you know, living in that place at that time. And I was a little older than some of the other college law students. I didn't go straight from college. So, you know, I just, I don't know. What was your experience like there? What did you take away from it? So again, you know, I'm a, a, a black woman who at the time was, I guess, 22, 23 coming, you know, from having come from Louisville and then coming straight from Atlanta. And so it was definitely a, a culture shock. I remember being in law school and being on the, the trial team and at times being told by professors, you know, your style is a little too uh, aggressive or so you need to just dial it back so that nobody will be intimidated by you because you can come. So that, that's the kind of thing that like, you know, that, that I, yeah. I was hearing at that time. So basically dial back, tone yourself down because, you know, you're coming in as a, as a black woman and being too worked up. That's the kind of thing that can, you know, make people feel uncomfortable. So just kind of whitewash yourself down a little bit and don't be so animated. So, and I remember at the time there were maybe five black folks in my law school class that I can, that uh -huh. I can think of. And so all of them still near and dear to me today, but we had to kind of cleave to, to and cling to, to each other because a lot of people were coming from the background of, oh, my dad, my granddad, great granddad are, are attorneys and, you know, they were getting assistance on exams and they already had jobs lined up in the, in the summertime. And so yeah. the rest of us who didn't have all that, we just, again, we had to say, we had to get it out the mud and just kind of just scrounge along until we got, got a break 
or we had to, to make our own break. And so I have, you know, prided myself on, you know, what I have, whatever little bit that I have kind of done in life, it hasn't been anything that has been easy or anything that anybody has rolled out a silver mat for. It's just kind of, and it's not been because I'm so smart. It's just been because I, I just, I'm bullheaded and I just, I'm just going to do it and I can take no for an answer. And well, so it's, that, as, it's both of those things. It's like, you're pretty, you're plenty smart too. And obviously well, learn something at law school. I was going to, you know, someone, someone came in and complimented me to our office to say after our, after the uh, use of force ordinance and sort of our presentation the other day, which, you know, you and I did not really orchestrate. Mm -hmm. We sort of texted no. to each other and said, you go first. They said, <laughs> you have really good chemistry with Jessica. And I think we, I think that's, probably true just because of yeah maybe we both have some legal training or we work on things together but i just you know well you I, I, t I tell you what i am and i'm not just saying this because i'm on your show but i am going to truly 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 miss you and I, I, i'm saying this publicly i don't think that anybody else on the council has your attention to detail your you know talk about me just kind of being bullheaded and just kind of you when you are digging down into something you are just going to to laser focus on it until it is done and you can look and i'm serious when i say this you can read over something that somebody else has read over 15 times and you can really assess the nuances and the words that, that make a difference and so i i am so sad that you are leaving and again i have not had the opportunity to um meet the person that's going to be coming after you, Cassie, but she has huge shoes to fill. So Cassie, if you are listening, I'm just telling you, girlfriend, people are going to be expecting a lot because Brandon is the real deal and has proven himself uh, to be really a scholar, a gentleman, and a legislator, uh, bar none. So okay, well, you gotta you gotta stop before I have to end this <laughs> podcast. That's too. Uh, you know the reason. Look, the reason we got to be prepared around here as you know, it's because when you're debating with some of these other people, you have to have an answer for a lot of their everything, co everything. comments and questions, some of which are rooted in fact, some of which are not, some of which are backwards and forwards and convoluted. So you got to be prepared. But uh, let me let me transition a little bit into before we talk about really sort of the state of the city today. And you know, you know, where we are, where we're going. You've been now six years, you're wrapping up six years has the Metro Council or Metro government or the city changed in some, you know, market way that you can tell since when you started or is it sort of yes. same? Okay. How's that? How so? It has changed so much, Brandon. And the way that it has changed is that there was a time when legislators could just kind of do what you wanted to do without fear of retribution of the public. You, people would just make, yeah votes and and do things and not feel like that anybody was watching or that anybody was paying attention the tide has changed so much in this country and particularly in the city of louisville where the reason that things are getting done now things that we would have never thought that it would, would have been done before is because the folks the citizens have finally woken up and they are paying attention to what goes on downtown and so again there there's some votes that have only happened only begrudgingly have happened because people have paid attention i think about brianna's law that would have never 
gotten passed unanimously, but for the fact that people were applying pressure. I don't mm-hmm. think use of or, use of force ordinance. There's no way in hell that would have gotten passed either, because there were folks who voted for it who did not want to vote for it and do not did not show up intending to vote for it, but for the fact that there were people who were applying pressure and were watching. And so when I think about the main way that it's changed, it's changed just in, in that regard where politicians in Louisville no longer have the luxury to kind of sit in an ivy tower and to uh, just kind of vote, you know, without fear that somebody's going to pay attention, without fear that somebody's going to blast them on social media. And really social media, I think, has been the, the, one of the biggest things that, that has occurred because people immediately have the ability to upload how a vote went and to <laughs> share it a million times. And so I think it's a great thing that, that people have woken up. I think it's a great thing that people are being held accountable and it's not just every four years and that the public is finally flexing their muscle. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, I think it's clear that we still need to develop some tools so that lawmakers have better listening and better dialogue with the public. And I think the public, you know, need, has a lot to learn still just in terms about the process and how the law works. And, you know, there's a lot of education and learning to be done on all sides, but I agree with you. And I, I think, I mean, thank the public who really Absolutely. does deserve a lot of help and assist for helping us get some of these changes across the board. You're, you're, you're the chair of the public safety committee. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so a lot, speaking of a lot, a lot of attention and spotlight this year, um, you received that in your leadership position there. And I will say, you know, I, I was sort of earlier talking about the frustrating, the frustration of feeling like you have to chip away at these big problems in our city. Mm-hmm. But I think actually the work we've been doing in the public safety committee and over the last six to nine months in terms of police reform mm-hmm. is sort of this example of chipping away is working. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the excessive force ordinance Mm-hmm. was important. Brianna's law was important. Mm-hmm. It's Monday. It's right now we're talking, it's 1030 on Wednesday morning. This afternoon at 330, we have another public safety committee where we'll mm-hmm. be debating the civilian review board inspector general yep. ordinance and another yep. ordinance that I think you're maybe co-sponsoring that has to do with, is it drug in your analysis of yes. police? Yes. The resolution so, yeah, about drug testing of, of police officers. And so I'll say that, you know, 2020 has been a a big year in terms of some legislation that we have seen, a legislation that I would have never believed that would have gotten passed. And so I've said from the beginning, since I was on council in 2015, that public safety is and has always been my top priority. I will say, however, that as I have continued my service as a Metro Councilman, my my view and imaging of what public safety actually is has has begun to to expand. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, with a a prosecution background, you know, when when I first came in, I I probably did just think, okay, just add more money to the police budget is is gonna gonna get us there. What we know now is that that, that's not going to happen. And so reimagining how not only city government, the process changes has changed, but also reimagining 
how we even as legislators can change and how, how our views can expand. And so it has been, it's been a great ride. It really has been a great ride. Really yeah, has. you know, I would suggest even, I mean, you know, I won't be around for this, but it seems to me even that the public safety committee itself should really be broken up into two committees. You know, we have one hour every two weeks to talk about police, fire, EMS. And it's not things. enough. It's not enough. It's not enough time. Right. It's really not. Right. You were starting to talk about understanding public safety more broadly. And I know by that you also mean public health issues, you know, Absolutely. mental illness, addiction, and some of those things that go into public safety. And so what I was going to ask you is, I could imagine a committee structure where fire and EMS and emergency services and public health are sort of discussed. Where, and then where police and corrections and the courts are sort of mm -hmm. in their own criminal justice committee or some mm -hmm. other thing like that. Uh, because it seems to me like even though there's sort of a disconnect and a divide sometimes politically and otherwise between the legislative and executive branches, there is just a chasm in terms of the, the divide between the judicial branch and the courts mm -hmm. and local government. Is that mm -hmm. am I, Do you agree with that? And do you oh, have I'm any idea how we can start to bridge that divide? Because so long as the judicial branch is just kind of like this other thing, we're never going to be able to solve these yeah, you know, we're, we're, policing. We're not, I, I think that what is so important is that we continue to promote and that we continue to elect judges that are, are willing to even have the conversation. Because as we know, obviously, with the separation, uh, separa separation of the different branches of government, we don't really have any control and quotation marks over them. But one of the ways that we what we can do is is to encourage the electorate to pay attention because people don't they don't pay attention to that to that down ballot. But some of those races they matter more in ways so much more than who your president is, who your governor, who, who your who your who your who your mayor is. But I think that you know right now we've got some pretty good judges on the bench, and that for me as a person who practices in the courts pretty much every day, I'm able to have some some good conversations and there's slow reform that is occurring over there in terms of policy and procedure. And I think we just, we've got to continue uh, the conversations and the public conversations uh, with the judicial branch, because again, so much of that is, is cloaked in privacy and, and people just don't know what's going on. They don't know who, the, who their judges are. They don't know anything. And so we, we do have to do a better job of educating. Yeah, uh, that's one of the things I'll be watching when I'm not on the council anymore to see how we engage with the courts, to see how we engage better with the schools, you know, the things right. that are so vital that we don't like literally control. And so sometimes we're a little stand up, you know, not standoffish, but we, we sort of advocate a little bit of the responsibility for it. And we, we can't do that. Um, we're getting close to the end. I know we've got about 45 minutes total and you know, we haven't really commented on, you know, uh, the Brianna Taylor case. We haven't mm -hmm. talked about COVID. We haven't talked about, you know, really all these tragedies and crises that are converging on the city at the same time. We're coming towards the end of the year. We're about to have the presidential election. It seems like we're at a very pivotal moment. I'm rolling off. Mm -hmm. um, you've, got, you've got another two years. But you're also, your life is changing. We talked about a new child mm -hmm. in your family and mm -hmm. all those other things. Sort of where are you mentally right now, besides just exhausted? And, <laughs> and you know, but I mean, and just in terms of 
you know, in a lot of ways, I really think your perspective of all of my colleagues is, you know, about as valuable as any individuals, just because of all the combination of your, you know, all the, all the combination of what mm -hmm. makes you, you. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm at a point in, in my life, and I think that I, I saw you kind of kind of get there, which is that as your time kind of wraps up and however much longer you're going to be on the council, you, you want to make sure that everything that you do actually counts and that it that it matters and that it's going to make a difference long after you are gone. And so when I think about especially Brandon, this, this discussion about uh, the use of force ordinance. For me, I think we both said it, it's important that we codify things so that long after whoever's in the mayor's office, whoever's in city council, whoever's in the chief's office, we know that this is, is what, what is going to, to, to be done. And so for me, I, I am laser just focused right now on issues of justice and reform. Not that I, mm -hmm. I may not sponsor or be involved in, in other things, but in terms of what I, I want my legacy to be when my time is up, I, I want it to be one, one where somebody can actually say, okay, this is what we can look at and that we can identify policies and procedures that were changed while Jessica was on council. But really, if it's not about justice and reform right now, I don't have much energy or time to really spend <laughs> much conversation on it, I think that you know we've got a lot of issues that, that are still coming up. We've got the fair housing ordinance that is is coming up, and that we will be di begin discussions on. It's not going to be on on today because something else is in front of it. But two weeks from now, and I look forward to sharing with colleagues how we have really revamped the Section Eight uh, program here in in Louisville, and we've got HUD to buy in, and how we're going to be providing incentives to landlords who are, are taking um, Section 8 clients. And so this is something that is, is unheard of, but it's something that I'm proud to, to be, be a part of. But again, I, I'm just laser sharp focused on justice and reform. And yeah. that, that is what I hope that my legacy can be. And, you know, that, that's where we are. And, you know, and there's one thing that I've always, I've always thought about and I mean, I think you're right. Just, justice has to be the central value of this city for for generations to come. Mm -hmm. I mean, me and you, we're two. You know, we've been around since you know 1980 mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. until 2060 and beyond. Justice has to be at the center of everything we do in this community, mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. not just to repair wrongs from the past. One of the things that I really believe in terms of like cities and economic competitiveness and like the world we live in where we sort of watch other com other cities, you know, take our jobs. You saw Papa John's move their mm -hmm. operations to Atlanta, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We are never going to be able to compete with other places. We're never going to have the weather in San Diego. We're never going to have mountains and the ocean. We're never going to be the state capital. You know, we're never going to have some of these things that are unchangeable. And so you can't compete against cities like Atlanta and Chicago mm -hmm. and New York and LA in sort of the traditional sense of competition. And you can only control the things you can control. And right. so part of the reason I think that like our laws matter, and I hate when some of our colleagues say, you know, this doesn't matter what we're doing anyway. This is just a right. Right. nothing makes me more angry than that, is that that is what we can control here. And yeah. so I really feel that 
like if you create a city where the laws create a place where the rule is like justice and equality and openness and yep. and and then you have a, a city where th that's reflected in the culture it's reflected yep. in the art it's reflected in the kind of businesses when those are the values that your place is all about and built on that's what attracts people in this other in the world that we're living in you know where other cities are all basically the same what's the difference between yeah. omaha nebraska and louisville that's kentucky right. and, you know well you so you brought up a good point so i was very proud we we were able to pass that lgbtq procurement ordinance earlier this year and so we added lgbtq individuals to the procurement process where we we're saying basically as as a city we are going to be intentional about um making sure that these individuals that we we actually secure them for, for businesses in the same way that we do women and minorities and so when i talked to a couple of other folks about that ordinance i said you know it just made makes good business sense i mean we cannot compete with cities like nashville or cincinnati if we are not going to say that we're going to be a progressive and open city for all people and so that's why we have continued to to lose people to the brain drain and we need to attract some of this talent back and so the more that we can make louisville an equitable city that is open for business that is open for life that, that we're trying to create louisville to be a good place to live work and play for all citizens the better it is for all of us and so yeah. you know it's 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 my hope that again while we work on sometimes what i view to be sometimes frivolous things uh in in government or on, on the council that we really focus on again issues of justice and just bringing louisville up to par so that we can attract talent so that we can keep talent so that we can make everybody feel safe yeah and i'll just be explicit like it has to be racial justice because mm -hmm. you know the city every year and rightfully so you know we we get a hundred percent score on the on the human relations commission test or the human relations committee rankings and this is an extremely friendly community the lgbtq community i went to the the parade um the pride parade last year two years ago i can't remember where it is where it starts on market street and it goes down goes down downtown and winds around down Preston Street, past River Road. I was blown away by the amount of support for the for the Pride Parade. And it was an inspiring, uplifting thing. And I thought to myself, is this what would happen if there was a Black Pride Parade? Would the That's city right. of Louisville come out in tens of thousands of people, corporate sponsors cheering if it was if it was Louisville's Black community out in, in a show of force like that and it's like until we get to that where that's the kind of level of celebration and pride we have you know especially it's a racial it's a racial legacy of injustice that has to be explicitly put front and center and mm -hmm. so you know as we wrap up i'll just you know i'm gonna miss you too i'll say that yeah, yeah. i'll be around some but you know it's really important the example that you're setting uh, for other people who are going to fill your seat and my seat and our seats when we're done mm -hmm. and uh, to our colleagues and just for other people in the community that are that are watching. So um, I have a lot of I have a lot of confidence in you and uh, I know you're going to continue to do a lot of good things while you're on the council. And I'll be I'll be making sure that I send you cookies to your house to make you get fat since that's what you wanted to do to me. So yeah, right. I'm going to start working out as soon as the council gets over. I'm going to start running. You'll see me, you know, 
Listen. Anyway. Okay, well, I think we're out of time. So, Councilwoman Jessica Green, I will see you in committee this afternoon. And thanks again for being on the show. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening to Eight More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. I'm Councilman Brandon Cohn. Please stay in touch with our office. Visit our website at www.tinyurl.com slash D 8 And once you're there, please subscribe and stay informed to receive our biweekly e-newsletter.